You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, well, hey, welcome once again. Thank you for being here. Uh, I didn't really introduce myself in the midst of those moments. I was a little personally like, yeah, just really struck by the moment won the anthem that we were just singing, declaring who the Lord is and what he's done. But, but also, uh, secondly, just, yeah, even just my heart mourning for, for what's happening in the Middle East. And, um, yeah, we live in just such interesting and challenging times, don't we? And I think that uh, I've been so amazed and blown away over these last number of weeks how, you know, I planned out this whole sermon series in, like, September. And I plan, okay, on this week, we're going to talk about this and this and this. And I broke up the text in such a way. And it was a little bit unorthodox, even the way we broke up the text. Like most people wouldn't have gone verse by verse through um, chapter 4 like that. But I was just so blown away by, um, and if you're not a Christian, you're going to be like, oh, it sounds super crazy. But God does this. How the text just lined up with exactly what we needed to hear that week. And exactly what we were, we were facing in the week that uh, David Wood spoke about anger. And it was just like, oh, yeah, we really needed to hear that, right? Uh, and the week that, you know, I came up and we were speaking about our words. And I felt like, man, we really needed to hear that. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I'm hoping and trusting that the Spirit of God has also placed a text for this Sunday for our community that will be timely for us, encouraging for us, but also challenging for us. If I'll be honest, as I'm reading through the text, I think that this one culturally can hit the hardest sometimes uh, because of the content of what it's talking about. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, speaking, you know, it's speaking to a number of different ways that just don't align with who we are as the family of God and how we're called to live as the family of God. And uh, over these last few weeks, we've been talking about all sorts of ethical issues, about telling the truth and anger and, uh, you know, don't steal and be generous. And I think for all of us, although we might have felt conviction and uh, things like that, I think for most of us are like, yeah, I, I agree with that. That's good. Today's topic begins to hit on the, the subject of sexual immorality, impurity, greed, uh, and, and those kind of things. And especially the first one, sexual immorality, is a very, uh, in our day and age, in our culture, it's an untouchable. It's something they say you, you don't talk about, uh, you don't go there. But he, here's what we believe. Um, we believe that this is the word of God, and it was given to us in love. It was a word of God, and it was given to us in love. And so we're going to receive it as such today. We're going to look at it. We're going to consider it. And we're going to ask God, what is it that, what is it that he is saying to us about this? Uh, and, uh, and why is it that he's saying uh, these things? And so I'm going to read from uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5. We're finally in, in chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Uh, and so if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read uh, God's word for us today. Here is what it says. <clears throat> it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, 
or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories and foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Continues. You can be sure that no immoral or impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of the world. God, I pray you'd speak to us today through this word. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I pray that you would transform and change us, that you would help us, God, to be a people who, like this text, imitate you and imitate your son. And, and as we do so, God, that we would live in light of the new reality you've given us in Christ, uh, and it would be good, and it would bless our, our lives and our families and our neighborhoods. And so use your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I told you it was a little bit of a zinger, hey? It started like really nice, right? It started really, really nice. It was like, you know, imitate God, therefore, as dearly beloved children. Live a life filled with love. And everyone's like, oh, this is just this is a good word, right? And, and I, I, I'd love to just camp on that section of the text. And we will spend time on, on it the entire time because it's just, it's so good. But then Paul, he gets a little grumpy, he gets a little frustrated. He, 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 he becomes quite blunt. Uh, if you're Scottish like I am, uh, you know, I, a couple of weeks ago I said we speak two dialects, cussing, complaining. Uh, and, but we also are very blunt. And Paul has a little bit of a Scotsman moment here. He's very clear. Uh, he doesn't beat around the bush. He is not very Canadian about it. He's not very politically correct. He's very to the point. And he begins to name off these various sins. And then he says, the people who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a harsh word. It starts out so warm, but it ends rather harshly. And, uh, you know, as I was reading, especially the second, path, uh, the second part, the, the kind of images that might come to mind when you hear rhetoric like this is kind of very like Westboro Baptist you know, or you might see like these, the, the, the protesting types who are, you know, the Christian protesting types holding the signs or your mind might be like brought back to when you were walking down Hollywood Boulevard and someone was walking with a megaphone just full of static, yelling, you know, angry things at us or, or perhaps maybe your mind was uh, even brought to, uh, you know, different, yeah, different street corners and soapbox preachers who are yelling and screaming about, you know, these who, people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom. It's one way we can read it. That is one way we can read it. And to be honest, when I read it, I thought I was thinking about our cultural moment. I was thinking where we are and I thought, oh, it's going to come across pretty harsh, especially in a Canadian context. But you know, um, context matters. And the way something is said matters. And why it is said matters. Uh, I think of uh, a time I was in Honolulu, Waikiki. And uh, it was a similar kind of scene. Like with a, you know, like some kind of like street preacher. But this scene was really, really different than the ones I'd seen before. Usually it's kind of people who are pretty angry and grumpy and yell loud and yelling and all that kind of stuff. I'm walking down I, uh, Waikiki Lane. And, uh, and there's this little Korean lady. She is tiny, all right? She's this, like this tiny little lady with a 
big smile on her face, right? And she's, 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 you know, she's street preaching with a little sign, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, she's saying all these, like, all these things about, you know, the kingdom of God and you need to turn and you need to repent and all that kind of stuff. But the way she said it was so nice, <laughs> right, that I was just taken aback. I was like, this is so unusual. She's just so kind and sweet about it, right? Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, most people, when you have these kind of scenes, they just kind of walk past the people who are doing it and just ignore them. When I saw her, I walked up to her and I was like, hey, high five, right? She was like so taken aback about it, right? Like she like, probably never gets reactions like this, right? Like from people, I was like, and I give her a high five and she's like, why, like, why do you give me a high five? And I just said, you know, I really think that uh, even though like I, I wouldn't necessarily go about it this way, I really can just sense your heart is in the right place. You really love people and you really want them to know Jesus and, uh, and, and you're just, you're doing your best. You're doing what you think is right. You're doing what you think will help people. Uh, and, uh, and so whether you agree with that reaction or not, she was just so encouraged, right? Like I could just tell she was just so, so encouraged that someone had said this to her and the whole, whole kind of thing. Uh, and um, yeah, whether you agree with it or not, here's the point. The way in which something is said really, really does matter. The context, the way it's delivered, and one of the things about text, and you guys experience this if you get a text message, you ever got a text message and thought someone was so angry at you, and then you called them, and you're like, hey, listen, I just got your text, and I just, I'm really sorry, did I, like, upset you or something? And they're like, what do you mean? I was just, like, texting you, right? Like, and, and sometimes when we read words, uh, we, can, we can bring our own interpretation. The Bible didn't have emojis, right? So Paul couldn't like, you know, put like warm heart emoji or like the smiling, like, you know, like it, it, didn't, it didn't have that. It's just words on the text. But I really do think that Paul, as he communicates this to us today, that it is given to us in love. I really do believe it is given to us in love. I really do believe he has our best in mind. I really do believe that, that, uh, that, that, that his tone, although maybe serious, although maybe, you know, to the point, uh, his, his intention is from a good place that he wants us to experience life and life to the full. He wants us to be people who walk in relationship with the living God. He wants us to not be people who pursue things that are going to hurt us and harm us and will lead to ultimate destinies that are separated from God. This is not what Paul wants for us. And and so I want to encourage us as we read this text to consider Paul's heart as he's saying this to us. I was looking at Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage and the message, and I don't think it necessarily, like, calms down the content for us. Like, I don't think it changes what Paul was saying, but I do think the words in which he used uh, maybe help us to hear it a little differently. Oh, there we go. Can I get a handheld? Just in case. Thank you. Um... You guys give it up for the sound guy. Yeah. 
You know, sound sound guys only get noticed when they do something wrong, right? <laughs> we never like we're never like a you know like wow you know the mix is just great. To, it's like it's only like when when you know when when something goes wrong that we notice the sound guy. And so I appreciate uh, people like William and Colin and Paul who are always back there trying to get this stuff going. Let me get us back on track. Eugene Peterson, uh, his translation, I, I believe it helps us to hear these words just a little bit differently. Uh, here's what he says. Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us, and his love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Don't allow love to turn to lust. I, I just love the way he said that. Don't allow love to turn to lust. Setting off a downhill slide into sexual uh, promiscuity and, and filthy practices or bullying greed. He says, though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, those who follow Jesus have a better use for their language than that. Don't talk in rotten or silly ways. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. You can be sure that people using, you can be sure that using people or religion or things just for what you can get from them, the usual variations of idolatry, it's, it's going to get you nowhere. And certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God. Don't let yourselves be taken by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk but want nothing to do with him. Don't even hang around people like that. And so you can see there's still, there's still a harsh edge to it. But I think his words, it, it, it helped me to see the heart. I think the heart of what Paul is getting at. He's saying, oh, guys, there's, there's a better way. There's a better way. And we've been spending weeks talking about the better way. And in chapter 4, verse 17, it says, live no longer like the Gentiles do. It says they, they're, they're hopelessly confused and lost, falling after every passion. It says, no, that's not what you learned in Jesus. That is not the Jesus you know. It says, instead, let the Spirit transform your mind and your thoughts and your attitudes. And then he goes, he begins to go into a number of different ways in which we're called to live differently. And then he continues this thought. So don't live like the Gentiles do. Let the Spirit transform you. And then he says, and now imitate God, therefore, as dearly beloved children. Fill a, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, who laid down his life for us. Don't live for, for these things that are going to harm you and hurt you any longer. In fact, people who chase after those things instead of God, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He want, Paul wants us to have life and life to the fullest. Paul wants us to experience the fullness of what it means of, uh, to, to be a follower of Jesus, to live in light of this new reality. And I think he's speaking to two things pri uh, primarily in this text. The first is he once again is speaking to our identity. And the second thing that we see this is that he is speaking to our activity, how we live, our identity, who we are, and our activity, how we live. And finally, our reality, the reality of how things are. 
right? Not beating around the bush, but the reality of how things are. So Paul starts with our identity. And if we miss this, the section just feels so harsh, like I said. Because we are in Christ, we have a new identity. This is what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. You can read this. It says, imitate God, therefore, as dearly beloved children. He's reminding us again, once again, of this identity we have in Christ, that we are children of God. That we're children of God after a pretty challenging section of ways in which he's challenging the way that we live in our ethics. He's reminding you again, you are a child of God. Many weeks ago, we spoke to this reality, like many, many weeks ago, uh, back in probably November, when we talked about this idea that you are chosen, that you are children of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, Paul is kind of picking up this idea from chapter 1, and he's carrying it now into chapter 5, and he's applying it to our lives. Look what he says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Paul is, he, he, by, by talking about the fact we're dear children, he's circling back. Remember, guys, you were chosen. Remember, guys, God decided in advance to adopt you and bring you into his family. You are his kids. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 speaks to this reality as well. See how much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. I want you to know if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, we have a father in heaven who looks at you and sees his kid. A kid who he loves. A kid who he has walked alongside. A kid who he has spent his, his life investing into and caring for. We have a father in heaven and we are children of God. And this is absolutely true. And if you place your faith in Jesus, you can become a child of God. Some people say, oh, we're all children of God. I've heard this expression before. Like, oh, all the people of the earth are children of God. This isn't true. There's a, a dynamic that we see in this text that, that those who are still dead in their sin, those who have not accepted Jesus, those who have not taken him at his word and received grace, it actually says, it says that, that you are a child of destruction. You are an enemy of God. You are far from God. I know that's a hard word. But Paul reminds us here that, went, that for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, there has been a transformation spiritually that has taken uh, place, within, place within us. And we are actually children of God, and he is our father. And this is available to anyone and everyone, anyone and everyone who places their faith in him. And so here's the profound thing, is that today... We're not just wearing a name tag that says child of God. It's not just a label, but it's actually a, a spiritual reality. I want you to think about that for a moment. That the God of the universe is legitimately, he is your heavenly father. You get to have a relationship with him. He chose us and he adopted us. He loves us. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. 
and we personally have an opportunity this text is inviting us into as we imitate him. As we imitate him, we have an opportunity to actually spend time with him, to get to know him, to be around him. God is inviting us into relationship with him, not just behavior modification. And most people who read this text, they make it all about the behavior modification. They forget about the relationship. God is saying, hey, walk with me and talk with me and become like me and spend time with me. I'll help you. I'll be with you. Don't you he, he's not saying, listen, if you act in these ways, then you'll be my child. He's saying, you are my children who I are dearly loved, who I have died for. And gave my life up for Jesus Christ. He gave his life as, a, a, as an offering for us. A fragrant and pleasing aroma to God. This is what the text says. He says, this is who you are. This is who you are. And you get to be my kids. And then he says, and so act like it. Would you act like it? Not act in such a way that you could be given the honor and the privilege of being children of God. No, you are children of God. And I'm, I'm asking you to live in light. I'm asking you to live in light of your new identity. Your new identity. And I think it's so different when we think about it that way. So he says you have a new identity. You have a new relationship. And then the text calls us to live differently in light of it. To change our activity. Imitate God. Following the example of Jesus Christ. And then, as we follow Jesus, we no longer live like the world. But we actually begin to align our lives in every area, in every sphere of living and thinking and acting. And we've covered a lot of it over the last few weeks, if you just want to read chapter 4. And there's a few more areas he wants our life to align with our new identity. And he gives a few examples. The examples that he gives are these. He says, listen, would there be no uh, sexual immorality? Would there be no impurity? Would there be no, more, no greed among you? Would you not talk foolishly or tell, uh, you know, obscene stories? He's saying, would you live differently? Because people who pursue these pursuits, he gives a strong warning in love. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying anyone who's ever made a single mistake in one of these areas will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think that that would be, um, it'd be misusing the text. He's saying people who, who live in light of these things and pursue these things exclusively and selfishly will not inherit the kingdom. So he's calling us to live differently. He's calling us to live differently. How is he calling us to live? He's calling us to live like Jesus. Jesus imitated God the Father better than anyone who has ever lived on this planet. He was God in the flesh. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen what the Father is like. This is why Paul says, "Live." A, he, he says, imitate God. And some of you guys are like, uh, okay, God is spirit. I can't see him. I can't, like, I can't watch him. Like, how am I supposed to know what God is like? And so Paul helps us with this. He says, he says imitate God, therefore, as dearly beloved children... Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. He says, if you want to imitate God, 
You are called to be a people who, who live a life filled with love following the example of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know what it looks like to imitate God, he says, look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Glare at Jesus. Would you open the pages of Scripture? We have four Gospels that are summarizing and sharing about the person, the works, the life of Jesus Christ. I think it's no mistake that God gave us four Gospels sharing about Jesus because it is through looking at Jesus that we begin to know how to be human again. It's by looking at Jesus we begin to understand the new reality, the new reality we have in Jesus Christ. So he says, look to Jesus, the perfect example of what it means to be in relationship with the Father, to know God, to live your life for God. If you want to know how to imitate God, look at Jesus Christ. So Paul takes our attention away from God the Father in heaven and directs our gaze to God the Son while he was on earth. He says, follow the example of Jesus. So how did Jesus love? Jesus' love was sacrificial and not selfish. It was sacrificial and not selfish. It's right there in the text. He gave up his life for us because of his great love for us. And this was a pleasing aroma, a pleasing aroma to God. Jesus said things like in Mark 10.10, says the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. I think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. It says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is your Christ Jesus. Although he was in the form of God, he didn't take equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus lived a life of love that was sacrificial, he was the God of the universe. He could declare worship and praise and honor. With a word, he could have commanded the nations, and yet he becomes like us as a fragile child. He lives among us, experiencing the fullness of what it means to be human. And then he does years of ministry that are just outward-focused. Caring for the widow and the orphan and the leper and those who were sick and those who were far from God. God, you know, Jesus, if you read the Gospels, he noticed people that other people didn't notice. He saw people that other people didn't see. He didn't walk past people who were in need, but he walked to people who desperately needed love, healing, to be transformed. This is what Paul is calling us to, a life of sacrificial love, to not put ourselves first, but to live our lives outward-focused to others. I think of the example, I've used it before, but I think it's just such a beautiful example of a life lived for others. I think of Mother Teresa. There's a story uh, regarding Mother Teresa. Shane Claiborne tells it in one of his books that when he went to go spend time with Mother Teresa, as he was uh, just spending time with her, he, they would be in worship or they'd be connecting or whatever, and he kept noticing her feet. Her feet were so mangled and dried and uh, deformed even. And one day he started asking around, what's, 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 what's with the mother's feet? Why does her feet look like that? And someone said, oh, well, here's what happens. Every time we get a shipment of shoes to give out to people in Calcutta, 
uh, to, to the lepers and people who are struggling and, and, and those in need. The Mother Teresa will dig through the bin of shoes to find the absolute worst pair in the pile. And if her shoes are better than that pair, she'll switch them out because she never wanted anyone to have the worst pair of shoes. Absolute extravagant love. Extravagant sacrifice. To put herself second for the sake of others. Where did she learn this? Where did she learn to live a life filled with love? It was by looking to Jesus who loved us and sacrificed. He gave up his life for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And that son died for us on a Roman cross. He had nails put through his wrists and through his ankles. He was beaten to unrecognizable. He was put, a crown of thorn was put on his head. Why? It was an act of love because he wanted to forgive us. He wanted to renew us. He, he took all of our sin upon himself. She learned this from Jesus who continually and always disadvantaged himself for the sake of others. So you remember I said that... Context matters, the way something is said matters, and the heart behind something matters. I think this is why Paul gets so upset. I think this is why Paul is, is so, when he begins to go off about these things, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, uh, foolish talk, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. The reason he gets so worked up, his tone really takes a, a turn for, for the more severe is because of this reality. Because of who our God is. Because of how our God lived. Because our God was sacrificial and not selfish. Theologians um, from church history, Augustine of Hippo uh, was the first one to coin the term. Uh, Martin Luther also used this term. Karl Barth used this term. Uh, but they use this Latin term called Incurvitus inse. Incurvis, incurvitus inse. It was a definition for them of sin. It was turned or curved inward on oneself. Was kind of the definition. It was to be turned or curved inward on oneself. It was to live a life for oneself rather than the, uh, to, to live an inward life. Think of oneself first and foremost and always rather than living an outward life that was focused on God, that was focused on others. And I believe that Paul, the reason he gets all bothered in light of what he has just said, and the reason he speaks so harshly is because the list of sins that he begins to share in this next section are the definition of incurvitus inse, a someone who is curved inward, someone who is caring solely about their own needs, their own desires, their own passions, their own ways of, uh, of fulfilling their, their, their desires and to gain satisfaction. Consider it for a moment. When he speaks to sexual immorality, it's the act of pursuing one's lusts, chasing after one's desires, and at times diminishing people to parts, reducing them simply to something that can satisfy your sexual desire. Think for a moment about when he speaks to greed. It's the Greek word pleonexia. 
It's the desire to have more. It is hoarding, consuming. It is lacking charity. It is putting your interests above the interests of others. I must have more. This is mine. I need, I need to have more. I need to take care of myself. Those who struggle with greed struggle to give. They struggle to take and not be generous. It is a life that is bent inward to oneself. Paul then begins to go into foolish talk. He describes obscene stories and foolish talk and coarse jokes. He says, these things shouldn't be named among you. He says, instead, our language, our, our dialect is thanksgiving. Our dialect, as he shared earlier, is encouragement. This is how we're called to speak. And listen, as someone who has told obscene stories and talked foolishly and made coarse jokes, fully confess before you at times, I can see the self-centeredness of this way of living. The self-centered desire, I want someone to think I'm interesting, that I live an interesting life or I have interesting stories. I want people to think I'm funny. I want people to think, to laugh, to build my ego, to give me confidence. This is why people often speak in these ways. They want to have a laugh. They want people to, 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 to think of them as far more interesting than they are. So they exaggerate their stories. It's still, it's a self-centered reason for speaking. And Paul says, this is not the way of Jesus. His life, his love was sacrificial. He was the opposite of bent inward. Rather, he was completely outward focused, living his life to honor God and love others. And this is why Paul makes this audacious claim that those who actively pursue an inward focused life will not be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And in a sense, he gives them what they want. He gives that individual what they want. They're so inward focused. The kingdom is completely not of this world. It is, it is upside down from our culture and our world. It is focused on the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is, is a place where people live in love and harmony and peace, looking out for others' interests and not just their own. And so Paul says, if you live a life that is focused on self, on the pursuit of self, on the pursuit of fulfilling your desires, your pleasures, God will give you what you want, which is yourself and not him and not his kingdom. And I realize this is a hard word, but I believe that it is given to us in love. I believe it is given to us in love because God loves us so much. He wants, to, he wants us to experience eternal life. He wants us to experience life and life to the full here and now. For Paul, this crosses a boundary. These ways of living and thinking and acting. It crosses a boundary. I remember when I was uh, an angsty preteen. <laughs> I lived in uh, the co-ops at the top of Snake Hill, just here, just just past the border of Port Moody, uh, when I was younger, and uh, sur all the way surrounding our townhouses in our, our in our complex, there was these fences, 
these like eight foot tall fences. And as a preteen, I hated the fences. I absolutely hated them. So much so that me and my friends, because we'd like to play like cops and robbers and we'd like to do all this kind of stuff, we would literally kick in the fence boards and break them to create passageways through the fences into the adjacent apartment building, into the, uh, to, to get out on street, all these kind of things. I, I just confess, this is, wow, this is just confessions of a pastor today, but um, <laughs> we did it. We would, I, I think we probably put at least six holes in this fence all around our building. And I remember one day um, growing up, I, I had rabbits. And, uh, and so I, there's this place in Richmond, by the way. If you go, they have so many rabbits that if you pay them $10, you can go there and catch a rabbit <laughs> and just, like, make it your pet. <laughs> like, it's their way of dealing with the rabbit problem. Uh, and so anyway, so we went to Richmond. We caught a rabbit. And I, so I, I would catch my rabbits and take them home. And I had this whole hutch and the, the entire thing. And I remember one day the rabbits... Um, Somehow got out of their cage. I guess one of them kicked the door open or something like that. They got out of the cage. They ran through the yard. They went through the hole in the fence. And, it, and I remember looking and searching for them. And I found, uh, you know, found one of them a day later on the other side of the fence, totally ravaged by, like, some animal. I don't know what it was. I remember um, that same fence that there were one day when we were out there and there were so many kids in the co-op. We were playing cops and robbers. And um, I remember uh, there was some guy who was standing on the other side of the fence trying to lure some of the girls through the hole in the fence to come with him. It was a scary moment. I remember running, getting my dad. My dad came out and shared some, uh, you know, choice Scottish words with this man. Um, And so I remember the day when they patched the holes in the fence. And, and for me, that day when they patched the, those holes, as much as it was fun and we could run through there, and there was kind of, it was just, oh, this is our fun little passageway. And, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not hurting or harming anyone. I realized the importance of boundaries. I, re I realized the importance of boundaries. And God is placing a boundary for us as the people of God. When, when my dad was out there hammering boards on the fence, it wasn't because he hated me. It wasn't because he didn't love me. It wasn't because, uh, you know, he wanted to, to ruin my life. He did it out of love. He did it because he loved me. He wanted me to be safe. He wanted me to be protected. He wanted to keep us within the boundaries, within safety, within a place uh, that, that we could flourish and play and have fun and not be concerned and worried. Some people think that God hates them because he has created a boundary. Nothing could be further from the truth. I believe that the word of God has been given, us to, given to us in love. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, those who have struggled in the area of sexual immorality, I think that many of you can share about the, the stories of hurt, how you have hurt yourself, how you have hurt others. I think for those of us who struggle with greed, we can think of how our greed and we just became so consumed with ourselves we didn't care others, how it actually hurt and harm others in our life who were in need. I think all of us can see how sometimes our foolish talk 
often maybe even telling stories at the expense of someone else, how that hurt and harmed people. Paul gets to the point, and he's very clear about the boundaries. Because, friends, he loves us. He, he so loves us, and he doesn't want us to pursue things that are going to hurt and that are going to harm us. And some of you struggle with the boundaries that the Bible places. My encouragement would be this. Would you consider them? Would you prayerfully go before the Lord about them? Would you say, God, if this is true, would you help me see it? God, if this is truly in love, would you help me to embrace it? Spirit of God... I can't help myself. Please, by your power, would you help me to stop it? This is my encouragement for us today. I believe that this was given to us in love. This wasn't given to us as a oppression to be oppressive or evil or bigoted. This was given to us in, so that we would have life and life forever. So I'm going to invite up the band at this point. And at this time, and you'll know this if you attend Rail City, every single week we come to the table. And the reason we come to the table is because every single week I sin. And I desperately need the forgiveness of God and the grace of God. I need to be reminded that of the times that I've crossed the boundary and I've crossed the line. And I need to remember that even though I may have crossed this boundary, God is welcoming me back to love me and forgive me and give me new life. And I don't even have to pull this from somewhere else in the scriptures today. It's found in our very text. Imitate God, therefore, as dearly beloved children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus Christ. What did he do for us, church? What did he do for the, the liars and the thieves and the angry and the bitter and the unforgiving and the sexually immoral and impure and greedy and those who talk foolishly? What did he do? He laid down his life for us as a pleasing offering to God in love. The beauty of Christianity today, the beauty of the, the communion moment as we come to the table is this. We do not worship gods of this world who demand behavior modification that we might earn it, we might deserve it, we might make our way to God. We have a God who says, listen, in love, don't live this way. In love, don't pursue these things. But when you do, and when you fall, and when you cross that boundary, I will forgive you. I will love you. I will welcome you back into the family because I died for you on that cross. I shed my blood for you. I was beaten to unrecognizable for you. And it is because I desperately, desperately love you. And so the response today in your heart, you might be feeling guilty. You might be feeling condemned. But Romans chapter 8, it says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law could not do. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he endured sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God, in order that we might be forgiven. And then he goes into that whole rant that I shared earlier with us. Will anything ever separate us from the love of God? Death or life, angels or demons, sin. No. No, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you today from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus expressed so fully and so beautifully in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter how you've been living, you are welcome today to the table to receive forgiveness, to receive the gospel. And so I'm going to invite the communion service forward. And when you are ready, come forward and receive grace and mercy and love. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this incredible gospel. God, today is a hard word in many ways, but it is a word given to us in love. And so I pray today for those of us who are struggling, those of us who are pursuing the inward-focused life, that we would humble ourselves. We'd humble ourselves today and come to the table and receive mercy and receive grace in our time of need. We'd receive the offering that was given in love for us through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Thank you, God, for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. It's for me and it's for us today. And so we come to the table with that in mind. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.